We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Chris, the producer here. I just wanted to give you a heads up on this. Uh, The first five minutes are going to sound like we're kind of underwater. I don't know how stuff like that happens, but uh, either deal with it or fast forward it. It's only the first five minutes of the show, so let's start the show. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. So Hightower opts out, Chung opts out. Each of these guys, Peter, when we ask what's the common denominator, they're over 30 years old. They've all made $30 million to $45 million plus in their careers. They all have three Super Bowl rings. What do they have left to conquer? For Cannon, he's had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma while at TCU. Hightower uh, just became a father. Chung has kids, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Mike Reese reporting that Chung is about to become a father yet again. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup podcast. Brought to you by the Rock Tower Sports. I'm Bill Steve, season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Tom Curran of NBC Sports on the Peter King Podcast. Talking about the New England players opting out, echoing something our Rock Power Report podcast listeners already know because I'm a genius. And Chris, that was a new intro. Yes, fresh new intro. We'll should get this out of the way. Chris, it's, it's, I'm sure a lot of people were thinking, okay? What, what, what? Did I download the, the wrong podcast? What am I doing here? What, what is this? No, sir. What we have here is yet another step forward for the Rockpile Report. Raise your glass, sir. Here we go. Cheers. 
And folks, you know us. We're the hardest drinking, pettiest bills podcast in existence. And that's why you guys love us. Our ability to inform you while entertaining. And Chris, that's why I assume everyone listens to this. Yeah, we're just a bunch of season ticket holders that have opinions and right. microphones. Now, in the past, the AFC East Roundup existed simply as a segue of sorts. When you listen to our in-season weekly shows, it was a chance for us to transition from our regular season game recaps to a preview of an upcoming game while still being able to, I don't know, throw a little shade at our division opponents, a little snark, a little comedy. Well, you always, you always have to know what's going around our division. Exactly. But Chris, it's kind of like that uh, old old adage, the whole tree falling in the forest thing. If a podcaster cracks a joke at another team's expense and no one's around to hear it, does it actually hurt anyone's feelings? <laughs> and let's face it, Chris, this might be the first time in my adult life the AFC East has ever felt this wide open. Yeah, it's real wide open. So it's with that in mind, and in the spirit of expanding ourselves as podcasters, that we roll out the AFC East Roundup podcast, brought to you by the Rockpile Report. Every week, it's going to be kind of a companion piece to our standard build podcast. We're going to be collaborating with some of the best podcasters currently covering the Jets, Patriots, and Dolphins, like Connor Rogers, and a host of Bleacher Report's wildly successful Stick to Football podcast and the entire Turn on the Jets podcast network. And Mike Gabate from Lockdown Patriots. It, we'll look around the division at how each of their teams fared that week and how we all stack up as the season rolls on. And obviously, we're going to mix in our own pet and brand of uh, humor. <laughs> yeah, it, it's going to be a good time. And uh, I just want to get this out of the way because it, it's happened with our first ever intro that we had. It's happened with the intro that we have for the Rockpile Report podcast. And for this one, for those that need to know it, that song is from the dreaded Marco, When Will the Beating End? So put that in your Spotify playlist. <laughs> Folks, this is a new venture for us. It's going to be a weekly occurrence. It's going to be, again, a companion piece throughout the regular season as we look around the rest of the division and bring podcasters, all three of them, Chris, it's going to be great. 10 to 15 minute spots with podcasters from every team around the division to talk about what the hell went wrong with your guys' week. It's going to be fun, especially in a season where the Buffalo Bills have a legitimate shot to compete for the title. Yeah, I'd like to hear that. We haven't heard that since the 90s. Chris, I can't be more fired up about this. And tonight, one of our favorite contributors, because we're petty, petty people, He's here, again, he's, he's going to be a part of this as we launch it, to help us break the seal on this thing. So with that, the inaugural edition of the AFC's Roundup Patriots Training Camp Edition, Mr. Mark Schofield. How are you doing tonight, sir? Drew, Chris, gentlemen, great to be with you. What, no champagne, no drop on the iPad, no <laughs> celebration, no. No. Uh, come on. No, we'll... Guys, we'll- We'll have a bottle of Prosecco ready for December when you guys are missing the playoffs. <laughs> when you guys clinch the division? Yes. Oh, when we clinch the division, we're going to have you back on the show to celebrate. Yeah, um, I'll be dead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, that's the way 2020 is going, right? Let's be honest. Oh, the 50-50 I see September. The way 2020 is going, I mean, people are talking about hell freezing over. The Buffalo Bills winning the Super Bowl would be the perfect way to end 2020. I mean, a Bills-Browns AFC championship game, I mean, 
Come on. <laughs> that is my hell, sir. For our listeners who are not familiar, if you've been living under a rock, Mr. Mark Schofield, he is the host of the Sco Show over at Pat's Pulpit. He works for the Touchdown Wire from USA Today. He gets to do articles and content with Doug Farrar, who, mind you, he always finishes last in Bleeding Green Nation's draft score things. I mean, have you ever written him about that? Uh, yeah, I've written Doug and I talk about a lot of things, and that is certainly one of us on the list. Um, <laughs> yeah, he uh, he has some. It, Doug and I just did our top one hundred and one players in the NFL, and Doug um, he was in charge of the edge defenders, and he had Zadarius Smith at as the number one edge in the <laughs> league, which a bit of a spicy take, um, <laughs> but look. You know, that, that was just great. But when it came time to do the top 101, we had done the top 11 at each position. Then Doug did the draft of the top 101 players based on the top 11 at each position. And he had Darius Smith at number four in the league. And I was like, Doug, man, I love you. Like, you've done so much for me. But we got to slide the dude down a couple of notches at least <laughs> because, let's be honest, we're going to get destroyed. Oh my god! Yeah. I mean, that's, that's some spicy takes, but that's why that's why I love him because he will just drop spicy take after spicy take. And he just doesn't care. He's not afraid of the consequences. That's a man Absolutely after my own heart. Not. He, he doesn't like, care. No fear. And speaking Absolutely about no not fear. being afraid of the consequences, yeah. now that Cam Newton's in New England, have you been sized for a romper, sir? <laughs> sized and it is ordered. It's a red. <laughs> Newton romper and as the Newton with the one it's like a jersey romper kind of thing and rock that bad boy open a day wear it to the Labor Day barbecues down here in Maryland oh my god folks in preparation for tonight's show I took a look back at some of the questions that I lobbed at uh, Mark last year and I have to say that it warmed some parts of my cold black heart it gave me a chance to reflect on our conversation regarding whether 2019 would be Brady's last year in a Patriots uniform whether or not there was a real plan at tight end for this season. Chris, it was great. Yeah. I'm a petty, petty man. Oh, this should be good. <laughs> so with that, I want to launch into the the, the biggest offseason storylines for the New England Patriots as we try to get an idea of how you guys are heading into training camp. And the first one, the most popular one, we heard about it in the intro of tonight's show from Tom Curran of NBC Sports, the COVID-fueled exodus of veteran talent. Now, I can only imagine the scene. Stephon Gilmore walks into the locker room, sets his stuff down, and starts looking around for a familiar face or two. And it's Bueller? 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 No, there's no one. There's no one to be found. That's about how well it's going over there in Foxborough right now in that regard. How? Where are you at at this point? with the whole opt-out situation. See, Drew, I thought you were going to go with the Will Smith meme where he's in the living room, there's like no furniture, and that's <laughs> Gilmore looking around like, where is everybody? Where right? is I everybody? Mean, it's interesting because, you know, two, three months ago, a month ago prior to the whole Cam Newton thing, the thought was, look, this was going to be a team that was going to be built around their defense they're going to win with their defense. They're going to try to pitch shutouts with their defense. They're so good at every level of their defense. Then they sign Cam Newton. It's like, well, okay, now the defense doesn't have to be perfect because the offense will be a little bit better than we expect. Well, that has certainly changed. I mean, let's talk about the exodus pre-COVID 
and then the exit is post-COVID. Because pre-COVID, look, you're talking about losing you know, a guy like Danny Shelton up front. At the second level, you're losing Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins, Landon Roberts, and then Deron Harmon at the safety spot. Well, we That's talked about COVID. it. We regaled you with all the statistics when we were here during our, doing our free agency show when Tom Brady opted out, and we had to kind of yeah. rub that in your face. But this here's a stat for you. No team hemorrhaged more defensive talent in a single offseason than the Patriots did this past offseason since 2002-2003. Now, that's per the football almanac. And that was before the COVID opt-outs. How because does you're mean? talking about losing Dante Hightower, who's the green dot guy, the heart and soul of your defense, a guy that you could make a convincing argument that was not – if he wasn't fully responsible for their last three Super Bowl wins – he had a huge role in them, right? We drafted Marcel Darius, and you guys drafted Donta Hightower. I will never yeah. forgive you guys for this. Every, yeah. I love Alabama, and every time we draft a player or we get a player from Alabama, they're questionable at best. Meanwhile, the best ones seem to go to our division opponents, and I can't. <sighs> Chris? But look, <laughs> Super Bowl 49, Super Bowl 49, he stops Marshawn Lynch on the goal line, right? Then you get the strip sack of Matt Ryan in Super Bowl 51. And then he should have been Super Bowl 53 MVP in that ridiculously boring game against the Rams. <laughs> like, this is this is the heart and soul of their defense. And he's gone. Patrick Chun, versatile safety, a guy that they trusted against tight ends, a guy that they would play at linebacker at times, a guy that could play a deep safety role. He was going to be the mentor for Kyle Duggar. He's gone. Like, this is a defense that went from, okay, they can win because of this defense to – Man, they're going to have to be a little bit better on offense than we thought. Like, the switch has been flipped. Like, this is an uphill battle for this team going into this season. And let's not forget all the stuff we talked about last time it was on. The schedule, the questions about the offense, the questions about the skill position spots, the questions at tight end. There are questions up and down this roster. Oh, absolutely. Now, do you feel like there was any sort of collusion between the players involved on this? I mean... For me, it's one thing when a few guys who fit the mold that we identified. Chris, it makes me feel like a genius. Like we said, the intro to tonight's show is Tom Curran talking about, hey, these are the guys who opted out, and here's some of the reasons why we think we did it. I pegged that two weeks out, saying, look it, highly paid veterans with an established floor of quote-unquote value or fringe players unlikely to make an NFL roster. I said those are going to be the guys who probably opt out in droves. And it's one thing when those groups of players do it. It's another when a huge swath of key contributors to a single team, a team that already was looking like it was going to take a step back in terms of competitiveness. I mean, you have players like uh, Danny Vitale, who literally just got to town, who said, hey, I know I signed this contract to play for you for the first time, but uh, I'm out. It's, it's another for all of them to make this decision in mass. Do you believe that the players kind of got together and colluded about this? And do you think that that had anything to do with the competitive ability of the team going into 2020? You know, a lot of people have said, look, whatever Bill Belichick or, by extension, the New England Patriots do something, people immediately think there's something afoot here, right? Like, it's one of those things, and I, I think it was Adam Schefter who tweeted out that he got a text from a general manager who said Bill's up to something, you know, right when all these names were announced. And so it's easy to look at this group sort of opting out in mass and thinking, okay, look, he knows they're up against it this year. 
They're either breaking in Jared Stidham or they're turning the thing over to Cam Newton. They got a tough schedule. The Bills look better. This is a great year to sort of just look, forget it. We'll tank. We'll throw in the towel on this year. And then we get these guys coming back in 2021 at a 2020 salary. We'll have a ton of cap space next year. It's easy to impossible that that's the situation. No, I mean, there's a chance. I think in all likelihood, though, Belichick is all about sort of exploiting those market inefficiencies. And he saw that, look, if we're going to get 60, 70, 80 players league-wide opted out, there might be competition for free agents that are available to fill those slots. And so, guys, you know, if you're going to opt out, tell me sooner rather than later so we get a jump as a franchise on those street free agents. Because if we all wait to the last day and then suddenly there's – one linebacker available that five teams are fighting for. Now we're going to have to pay that guy more. So I think in all likelihood, Belichick said, I want to know sooner rather than later so I can get a jump on the other 31 franchises for Phelan's loft. I mean, that's – and Chris, that's absolutely a thing I would expect Belichick to do. Don't you agree? Yeah. I mean, he's one of the – anytime he walks into the room, he's the smartest guy, at least in the mind of football fans. So that makes sense. But, I mean, when you look at what they've lost here just in COVID opt-outs. Now, I have something I'm going to email to you later tonight. It's something I keep up. In fact, it's just a – I'm going to make it a living document on Google Docs for anybody out there on Twitter who's interested in keeping tabs. Tweet at us at Rockpile Report. It's a living tracker on the AFCE side of things of who opted out, whether they were a starter or not, what position they play, and how many years of experience they have. Just so you can kind of see for yourself what's out there, who's decided not to play. The deadline is tomorrow. And you're going to be able to use that to kind of have an idea of how that might shape competitiveness from one division to the next. Can you argue that no division race has been shaped more by opt-outs than the AFC East? Oh, no. I mean, I think when you look at the landscape of the AFC East and how it's sort of swung over the past, say, three months – I mean, post-draft, post-Brady, uh, post, you know, the free agency period where it certainly looked like it was Jared Stidham's show, I thought there was a pretty big gap between Buffalo and New England. Now, when they signed Cam Newton prior to the opt-outs, I thought New England closed that gap somewhat. I don't think it closed it to the extent where I thought that they were favorites. I still thought the Buffalo Bills were favorites in the AFC East. And now, this defense has just taken another step back. And so, yeah, it's one wildly. I think most other divisions... You know, things have been somewhat status quo even throughout this opt-out period. Now, we might get some bigger names in the next 24, 48 hours or so that might change that. But for right now, I think the AFC East is certainly the, the, the division that has had the most impact as a result of these opt-outs. And they're basically all because Patriots players have opted out. So then with that in mind, and you think about how the Patriots are going to try to contribute here, or at least try to compete, contribute, Jesus Christ. When you think about how they're going to try to compete in 2020, what I see, and you talk about the Cam Newton signing and how that maybe pitches things, I see some seismic shifts in offensive philosophy on the horizon. I mean, things have to be somewhat up in the air on that in that regard. For the first month or so of the offseason, we heard everything. I mean, as Bills fans, I soak up, as a petty Bills fan, I soak up all of the Patriots news that's bad that I can get my hands on. And when I saw that you guys were first planning on going with Jared Stidham, I mean, we heard everything. The McCourty brothers telling everybody how good Stidham was in practice. He carved us up. It was, oh, don't sleep on him. 
He's I heard that he's more mobile than Brady, which will give their offense more options. And then some guy from CBS Sports, I think it was, actually tried to tell us that their offense, Chris, would be better with Brady, without Brady and with Jared Stidham than it was last year. And we all laughed at that. I mean, life seemed, life seemed good. Everyone in New England seemed to think that everything was going to be rosy. And then the Patriots shook everything up and signed Panthers quarterback Cam Newton. Now you've got Dante Skarnecchia in retirement talking about how many miles apart the quarterback competition is on ESPN. <laughs> like, if you thought Stidham was that good, why is one of the most valuable Patriots position coaches of all time going to the press and going, nah, that kid ain't it? <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I, I think from the from the organization's perspective, they trust in their evaluation of Jared Stidham and they believe that they got it right. And they do think that the kid has a future in the NFL. But they don't trust their evaluation over their advanced scout in their pro scouting department, which has seen Cam Newton up close. Like, the guy's beaten him twice in two meetings. Um, and for all the idea that the offense would be better with Jared Stidham, you know, I, I think obviously <laughs> that's a bit far-fetched. You know, is Stidham more mobile than Brady? Sure. So is the rock in the front of my house. Like, <laughs> most things are more mobile than Tom Brady. So I don't think that's a massive stretch. You know, I think the way Cam Newton can impact this offense potentially is in a number of ways. And they do start with his mobility. Look, you know, it, it, say, for example, a design we've seen so many times for the New England Patriots where they get a short yardage or red zone situations. They go empty. They bring the running back, James White, back in motion towards Tom Brady. The ball is snapped, right? We've seen this a million times. They do that little fly sweep type thing, right? If you're Matt Milano, if you're Tremaine Edmonds, and you see that play with Tom Brady at quarterback, you're not thinking about Tom Brady keeping the football. You're getting your butt to the edge because you know that he's going to hand the ball off to James White. With Cam Newton in backfield, it's a different scenario. Now you've got to worry about that opportunity. You've got to stay home a bit. You've got to worry about Newton keeping the football and climbing vertically you know, behind Shaq Mason or something like that. So you've got to stay home. And the other thing to keep in mind is this. Last year, you know, Quincy Avery, who's a private quarterback coach, coaches Deshaun Watson, he pointed this out on Twitter a couple of days ago, when you were defending New England last year, it was easy. You double-team Edelman, you put a defensive back on James White, and you dare Tom Brady to throw the ball somewhere else. You can do that now against this team, but you don't have somebody to spy the quarterback that Cam Newton. And so that's going to be an issue, too. The ability of Cam Newton now, the, the presence of Cam Newton gives them the ability to flip the number script, where before they're playing 10 on 11, now it's back to 11 on 11 because you have to account for what the quarterback can do with his legs. That's going to change things. Okay, now that's fair, and there is change coming, and that's why I'm, I'm interested to pick your brain about this. Is there any concern on your end about scheme changes that are going to be required to facilitate a quote-unquote Cam Newton offense? And the fact that they may not fit the current personnel that you have on hand. I mean, I, I look at the offensive line as maybe the biggest place for this. Blocking, the blocking style that it's going to take to be effective for Cam Newton is wholly different from Tom Brady. I mean, the book on Tom Brady for years has been you pressure in the A-gap will give Tom Brady fits. So you as a team have done everything you can to try to give Tom Brady a clean pocket to operate from. That's the way this line is built. It's the way the offensive scheme was built. 
now you're suddenly transitioning to a quarterback in Cam Newton who is most effective when he vacates the pocket and can use his legs to buy a little time to give his wide receiver separation. That improvisational style of play, that's going to take some getting used to from a protection standpoint. How comfortable are you with the Patriots offensive line picking that up right out of the box? I mean, like anything, you know, especially in this day and age, it's hard to be completely comfortable with any sort of schematic change because you're not going to get the same amount of time to install it. Well, and that was going to be like, my thing. Without, without a lot of preseason games, without minicamp, without OTAs, without the joint practice sessions and all that stuff, you know, it's hard to pick up the timing that goes into blocking for somebody that's more patient behind you. And a prime example is this. Look, you know, first the Steelers, then the Jets. Those offensive lines – it was tough for them to learn how to hold their blocks for a patient runner and Le'Veon Bell. Because when you're expecting the guy to be by you and he's still dancing around behind you, you have to learn the time. And you have to learn, okay, I can't climb to the second level that quickly because I have to make sure that first block is secure because he might still be behind me. It's the same thing now when you're expected to sort of have that five-man, six-man slide protection scheme to keep the pocket integrity sound. You expect the ball to be out because Brady's so good at getting the ball and getting it out of his hands. Now you have to hold those blocks a little bit longer. It's going to take timing. You know, the one thing to keep in mind that, you know, in terms of schematics, I do think that the Patriots have at times been an outside wide zone team with part of their packages with White, with Burkhead. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And the guys, even on the interior with Mason, with Joe Tooney, they have the footwork and the movement skills to execute in space. So that part of it is there, but getting that timing down is going to be critical, and they don't have the opportunities that you usually see in most preseasons to get that timing down. Look, we're going to see bad football at the start of the year from every team, from all 32 teams, like Perry. But the Patriots are going to be one of those teams that's going to struggle adapting to some changes in personnel because they won't have the opportunities to fix that stuff in training camp. Folks, hearing him talk about the struggles of this reminds me that I'm drinking a moosehead for the first time in over a month. The shutdown of the Canadian border robbed us of this fine moosehead lager. And listening to you extol the struggles of the uh, Patriots offensive line and scheme transition akin to alongside this beer, it's like a good wine and cheese pairing. I have to tell you. Well, I know, Mark, I, I, I know Mark can speak to this, but generally New England has had, always had a poor September of football because they're yeah. always trying to Look, implement new yeah, things. Chris is right. You know, they, Belichick has traditionally used those first four games or even those first, say, two games as an extended training camp, as a chance to try some things, to sort some things out, to figure out some personnel tweaks. I mean, last year it was Antonio Brown. I mean, look, they, you know, Belichick wants his teams to be playing the best football, not in September, but in December. You know, that's sort of been his mantra. And we'll see more of that this year. It's certainly going to be the first four games of this schedule as sort of an extended training camp. The problem is, it's not like the schedule starts off easy for them. I know we're going to talk about that. Oh, we're going to talk about that. It's going to be fake day. Look, a tough schedule starts tough and stays tough, and that's what they're facing. Well, and here's, I guess, one of the other things that I think of. When I think of Cam Newton, and this is something that's not widely talked about, but it's been a concern of mine. Brady, throughout his career, is the 
Patriots quarterback was often seen making the pre-snap protection adjustments, calling audibles to the line of scrimmage, identifying. The, I mean, if if you want to talk about Brady's, never been the elite athlete. Never. Oh, no, like I said, he was my coming out of Michigan. He was the Michelin Man running a forty. That's what he looked like. He was the doughiest. Him and Peyton Manning will forever have in common the fact that when they were younger, I mean, before he embraced the whole TB12 thing, if you looked at Tom Brady coming out of college and you looked at who Peyton Manning was throughout their entire career, those are the types of guys who could show up at a family picnic and be sitting there in a sweater and jeans, maybe uh, talking to the kids about basketball. Or, <laughs> or, or you'd see them playing canasta in the corner and it's like, oh, they fit right in. Brady became an athlete throughout the course of his career and a limited one at that. But he always had it between the ears. Right. Brady was the guy making the pre-snap protection adjustments, calling out hot routes, calling out adjustments to wide receiver routes and running back blocking responsibilities. He communicated with everybody pre-snap. How much of that changes with Cam Newton at the helm, given not only his... I mean, Chris... Can we say this? Cam Newton is, uh, compared to Tom Brady, he's a football idiot. Yeah. And his limited lack of live reps with the playbook and personnel at his disposal, I feel like the offensive coordinator and Bill Belichick are going to have to do a lot more of the heavy lifting for him. Is that fair? I mean, I think it's somewhat fair at the outset, you know, given, again, the things we were just talking about, the limited training camp and all that stuff. You know, I do think Cam Newton is a smarter football mind that he gets credit for. I think, you know, Greg Olson talked to this, you know, this offseason about how, you know, Newton knew the game inside and out, knew the offense inside and out. We remember that clip of, you know, the Panthers against the Packers, you know, he's calling his shot on that sort of angle route to Christian McCaffrey after the, out of the backfield. Like, Newton knows the game very well. And there are some schematic, from, from, you know, equivalences between the two offenses, you know, with what he was running at times in Carolina and what he'll be running in New England. You know, but again, he was signed late in the process. He got the playbook late in the process. And we're in the midst of a global pandemic. Like, it's not the ideal setting to learn a new offensive system, you know, and then there are other quarterbacks that are be going through similar things, whether it's Baker Mayfield, whether it's Daniel Jones, some of the rookie quarterbacks, obviously, you know, Cam Newton's going to have a learning curve along the way. And, you know, Josh McDaniels is going to have to do some things schematically, you know, to give him some good looks, you know, to give him more information before the snap with the motion shifting. But these are all the same things that he was doing anyway for Tom Brady to help give Tom Brady information. And so, you know, I don't think they have to do that much more than the stuff that they were doing for, for Brady. It's just the learning curve is going to be different because of the times we're living in. That's fair. But what I, I, I guess he just doesn't strike me as the guy to matriculate well to that. Maybe this new chip on his shoulder will change the way your team operates. And maybe it'll change him for the better. I still remember the Cam Newton who wouldn't dive on a fumble in a Super Bowl. The Cam Newton who got into, almost got beat up by Steve Smith, who's half his size. Literally half his size. Because he wasn't being a leader on the sidelines when he was leading them directly into the gates of hell. That's the guy. That's the guy that I, I see and I think of when we're going through all this. So, with that said, 
I, I just I, I'm I'm confused and I'm worried and I I just I mean guess not worried but I'm worried that the Patriots are <laughs> as a fan base might be rallying behind this idea that they're somehow going to be dominant because of this guy when in reality it's not going to happen. Do you think that's the case, or do you think people have a realistic expectation for this? I mean, do you think Patriots fans have realistic expectations ever? I mean, let's be frank here. But I, I think what Patriots fans are sort of hopeful for and cautiously optimistic for is that we're going to see some semblance of the guy back in 2000. Forget even 2015 when he won an MVP. The guy in 2017 that led an offensive Room with Ted Ginn and Brandon Burson to the playoffs almost on his back. Like, you know, these two things can be true. The Patriots have some weaknesses and some deficiencies at the wide receiver spot, and it still might be one of the better wide receiver groups that Cam Newton has played with. You know, because they didn't do him a ton of favors down in Carolina in terms of putting talent around him. And so if we get some semblance of that guy this year, sure, you know, this offense will be better than we were expecting. But at the same time, we are talking about a quarterback with a lot of miles on him because of the way he played the position, because of the hits he took at the position. And he's coming off of a foot injury that when he played last year, he struggled with. You know, there are some health questions here, too. You know, most Patriots fans, I think, you know, whether it's when they're openly honest, when you get a couple of little beverages in them, they'll tell you, yeah, you know, there are concerns about this guy. We're hoping that we get the 2017 guy, forget the 2015 guy. But we just don't know for sure, and we won't know until week one. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than with our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, Deal Dash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com, use the offer code ROCKPILE or DealDash.FM slash ROCKPILE. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash ROCKPILE. So with that said, obviously the offense, I, no one knows how it's going to matriculate. I mean, I think one of the biggest misnomers that's been put out there is that Josh McDaniels somehow, I've heard it, the whole Tim Tebow comparison, and it makes me sick. Because when I look at Josh, what Josh McDaniels, they were saying, oh, well, he did it with Tim Tebow and he won a playoff game, so he could do it with the Patriots. Well, he had Brandon Lloyd and then Brandon Marshall and then Demarius Thomas, wide receivers that this group does not have. 
I mean, the roster that he had at his disposal when Josh McDaniels accomplished those things was not the Patriots roster that we're walking into now. And that brings me to kind of a Q&A session with you just on the makeup of the roster itself. And we start with the rookie draft class. Now, asking for a class of rookies to make any kind of immediate impact in a franchise's fortunes out of the gate, I mean, that's always, you're always asking for trouble. If you think that your class coming in is going to help you in the upcoming season, outside of a first-round draft pick, would you agree with me on this? Your proposition's kind of dicey. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, look, draft picks generally are hit and miss, and that's just a function of reality. And the other thing, again, these guys won't be ready. You know, these guys aren't going to have the same sort of training camp experience that rookies in the past have had. And this will certainly rear its head with a couple of these day two picks. You're talking about looking at two rookie tight ends now and Devin Assisi and Dalton Keene. You're talking about you've lost linebackers. Now you're going to need a Josh Uchain and Anthony Jennings to step up. I, well, those are two guys. Those, those are two guys. Let me, let me step you there. Those are two guys I actually want to ask you about. Because when I look at guys that I think might be able to contribute here, Josh Uche, Anthony Jennings. Now, Jennings, that was my boy on Bama last, <laughs> last yeah. year or two. But if only because the linebackers were always hurt. The linebackers for Alabama were constantly under fire, and he had to kind of be this jack-of-all-trades, this multifaceted talent. But you could tell that he had he was gonna have he was gonna need some work in order to work in the NFL. I don't know a ton about Josh Uche. The two of them as pass rushers are how quickly do you think the two of these guys can acclimate to produce anything? I mean, I Look at what they had from last year. Chase Wurtovich, who was a guy that a lot of people thought, oh, this is the quintessential Belichick pick. He gets a guy that's this perfect high motor type player to fall to them in the third round. It's not like he lit the world on fire. And I think you're kind of going to see the same from these two guys, Josh Uche and, and Anthony Jennings. They'll be, particularly Uche, you know, he's a situational pass rusher, a tweener type that, you know, it's not like you can put him down with a, you know, his hand in the dirt as a 4-3 defensive end and expect him to hold his ground. He's a guy that's going to be playing from a two-point stance, coming off the edge at times. He's probably going to get washed out at times by bigger, more experienced offensive tackles, but he can win some one-on-one matchups here and there, and they can scheme some stuff for him. But, you know, unless something crazy happens, he's not a guy that you're going to expect, you know, eight, ten sacks from. You know, same from Anthony Jennings. And so, in all likelihood, they're really going to be looking to Winovich to take a step forward. They're going to be looking to John Simon to sort of be that Kyle Van Noy type. And I can see you laughing, Drew. Like, that's <laughs> what we're at. Like, that's why I love this podcast. This now. I love it. Now, Kyle Duggar, physically talented, sizable learning curve to the NFL coming out of the FCS. He was a guy that Bills fans were very high on out of Len... Lenore Ryan. Lenore Lenore Ryan. Lenore Ryan. I can't even pronounce it. God, this moose head. <laughs> no, that's not it. I think it's your brain and your upbringing. <laughs> Here's the question. Does it bother you that he's another one of those DBs taken in the second round that have plagued the Patriots for years? Razai no. Dowling. Cyrus Jones. Like, yeah, My I boy, Cyrus Jones. Yeah, I mean, look. 
prior to the draft, I tweeted out the Rick and Morty gif of, you know, them giving the double birds to the world. And I said, this is going to be Belichick when they draft a random safety, you know, with their first pick in the first round. And then it happened with their first pick just in the second round. What, what gives me hope about this pick, guys, is the fact that in years past, it would have been the like four year letter winner, you know, three year captain guy with a deep special teams background, you know, coachable kid. They took a swing on athleticism with this guy. They took a swing on a kid that, you know, looks the part, but is going to need a lot of work coming from a small school. And it seems like there's a bit of self-evaluation at play here where they're like, look, we've done this in the past, drafted the special team, gritty, coachable type. Let's go get the athlete. You know, the kid that, like, blew it out at the combine. The kid that, like, when you saw him, you know, at the senior bowl and other places, you were like, yeah, this kid looks like an NFL player. So, in a way, I'm hopeful that it's not the typical Patriots day two defensive back pick we've been before because they took a swing on athleticism as opposed to the stuff they usually seem to value in the draft. Now, and... Honestly, like I said, there's a lot to like with Kyle Duggar, but the big thing for 2020 is that he's raw. Yeah. He's raw in almost every aspect of the game. So I guess my question is, and you being the draft Nick that you are, I guess my question is, do you see and have you seen enough from him that he could, you think he could be used at least in sub packages out of the gate? the, The hope was that you could have him, you know, be okay. Look, we're playing the, we're playing the Chiefs this week. You're getting a shot at Travis Kelsey. Like, wherever he goes, <laughs> you follow him. Like, right? <laughs> like, forget everything else. Like, this is what you're going to do. Like, you could use him for some isolated package type situations. That's out the window now. Like, if you're going three safeties, you need this guy to be on the field. You know, yes, you have Travis Brooks, maybe, and Adrian Phillips, but you're going to need something from this kid now with the departure of Patrick Sean. And so he's going to have to take on an increased role unless somehow Terrence Brooks and Adrian Phillips are going to be better than we expect. <sighs> so I wouldn't yeah. bet on that. Yeah. I mean, so that's where we are. Like if it was before where it's like, okay, we're getting, you know, or in some of their other games, you know, they're playing Baltimore. Okay. You're going to have to, you know, you're getting Mark Andrews this week. Like if he's chewing gum, I wonder what flavor it is by the end of the game. That's out the window. They're going to need more from this kid than what we were hoping to see. And like an early, Learning curve and introduction to the NFL. That's now out the window with Patrick Shun's opting out. And there's one other draft pick I want to pick your brain about, and that's the kicker, Austin Rohrwasser. Now, I'm not going to bring up the tattoo debacle because, let's face it, that that's just that's been beaten into the ground. But when I look at Patriots kickers, you you guys have been spoiled. What? From Vinatieri to Goskowski, the Patriots have had a long history of fantastic kicking. And that ended in 2019. And the results, they speak for themselves. Three kickers over the course of one season. None of them had a field goal percentage over 87%. As a group, you were 50% from 40 to 49 yards. Chris, what would you do if our kicker only hit every other kick from 42 yards? Oh, burn his house down! Yeah, <laughs> you'd, you'd at least draw something in his front yard, like they did for uh, McKelvin. Yes. Okay. Yes. So now Bills fans know how hard it is 
for rookie kickers to beat out established veterans. We've drafted a number of them. We've brought in young guys, and they've never been able to push out incumbents. How confident are you that in 2020 this kid can come in and be an improvement, or do you think there's going to be more competition on the horizon? I'm not entirely confident. I knew they were going to draft a kicker. I thought it was going to be Blankenship, the kick from Georgia. Um, I was surprised when he was the pick. I think part of the reason was he does have at least a limited track record of some game-winning kicks, which I do think they value in their evaluation process at the kicker position. But you're talking about a guy that was 71% field goals two years ago, 86% last year. Not exactly perfect. Um, And look, anytime, and again, we don't have to dive into it, but anytime your kicker is the story, particularly on a draft weekend, it's probably not a good thing. So the kid's not off to a great start. And we all know, look, when it comes to kickers, you make them, you stay, you miss them, you're gone. He's not going to have the longest of leashes, I think. So, yeah, I might anticipate some, you know, some battles for this position down the road. I don't think this is, you know, set in stone that this kid's going to be their kicker for the next 10. And that's kind of like Bass. I mean, Chris, the Bills drafted Tyler Bass. There's no guarantee he's going to be the heir apparent to Stephen Stephen Hushka. Hushka may come out like a man on fire and prove to the NFL that he's still the guy that makes $5 million a year for kicking a football. And if he does, more power to him. It's just the Patriots don't have that incumbent to be pushed by a draft pick. And that's why this struck me as so odd. Now, usually, this is where we would ask people about their biggest loss of the offseason. But Chris! (laughs) The Patriots just have too many of them. I don't even... I mean, what? TB12? We celebrated it. We already rubbed that in Schofield's face. We popped bottles. We... Toasted. I, I think legitimately popped bottles. I think Cool and the gang were was involved. Yeah, it was a yeah. great time. It was one of the best nights of my life. So I'm going to move on to the biggest acquisition of the offseason. What do you think the Patriots did in terms of picking up talent? Where do you think that they hit a home run this offseason for 2020? Outside of I, Cam Newton, obviously. I mean. I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. I mean, if you're saying outside of Cam Newton, I mean, you might look at the fact that Marcus Cannon has opted out. (laughs) And so the fact that they're going to get a guy in Yandy Kajust, who is technically an acquisition from last year, who was a medical redshirt like they've done, that might be a guy that could – be a prime acquisition for them because he could step in perhaps to that right tackle slot. That's fair. Um, Hilde Froholt, interior offensive lineman, again, drafted last year in the fourth round. You know, he could play a role for them as well. Um, you might want to look at, say, again, not to beat the COVID-19 thing into the ground, Brian Hoyer might matter. You know, if we get into a Saturday and Cam Newton tests positive for COVID-19 and he's been in quarterback meetings all week long with Jared Stidham next to him, you know, we're hearing <laughs> that teams might isolate an emergency quarterback offsite and just basically say, look, you're going to keep you away from everybody because if everything goes south on us and we're foobard Saturday night, we need a quarterback. Wasn't this so, a shitty TV series with Kiefer Sutherland? 
Like, yeah. wasn't there, what well, was it, Lone Survivor? Designated Survivor. <laughs> like, you see on the State of the Union night where there's that, that so one random member of the cabinet, like the Secretary of the Interior, who gets to sit at home in their couch just in case the Capitol building blows up and the entire you know, power structure of the United States government is wiped out. <laughs> we've still got a president. So, yeah, that's going to be Brian Hoyer, the, like, designated survivor. And he, other teams will do this. Jake Fromm or Matt Barkley will be your designated survivor. So if, like, the entire quarterback room is infected, you've still got somebody that can take the snaps. 2020, man, the screenwriters for this year of 2020, this version of 2020, they have just emptied the chamber. <laughs> it's like it's like almost like that movie Cabin in the Woods, except yeah. on steroids. Yeah. What a time. So, yeah, look, back to the question. Look, you look up and down this roster. What are you really going to point to? Bo Allen up front, a defensive tackle, like Brandon Copeland, like you know maybe some of the draft picks could pan out, but yeah, it's it's thin, man. So when we talk about this area, the roster's area of strengths and weaknesses. Now for strengths, I can only come up with one, and that's your wardrobes. I mean, when Cam Newton got to Foxborough for his medical checks, I described the striped romper. In the top hat combination that he got out of the car with, I said it made him look like the love child of Johnny Depp and the Hamburglar. <laughs> I mean, now come on, some of that has to rub off on the rest of the roster, right? So with Cam in town, half your team is going to be doing their post game press conferences dressed up like Jack Nicholson's iteration of the Joker, or it's some gonna be legit, or they're going to look like some combination of LeBron James. Kanye West, and the Monopoly Man. That's where we are with the New England Patriots at this point. I mean, at least you guys have the wardrobe aspect going for you, right? We've got that. Look, I I, I think as far as a strength goes, it is still the secondary, even with the Patrick Chun loss, because you're talking about, you know, Jason and Devin McCourty, Stephon Gilmore, J.C. Jackson, Jonathan Jones, last year's second-round pick, and Joan Williams, who showed up from time to time last year in a more limited capacity, but I think they're going to carve out a bigger role for him. I think this is still a good secondary. I, that's probably the offensive line. Yes, there will be an adjustment period, you know, in terms of getting the feel for Cam Newton blocking for him. And yes, they're looking at a new right tackle. But, you know, when they got Joe Tooney back, when David Andrews decided that, look, he's not going to opt out even with his health considerations, you know, it's a pretty good offensive line. So, Secondary and offensive line, probably the strengths. I think this wide receiver group could work um, with Cam Newton. They have some depth at running back. But, yeah, secondary and offensive line are probably the two strengths. So then in terms of weaknesses, now – How much you, time you got? Oh, yeah, I know. I was going to say, I I sent you one of them. And I even sent you, Chris, as I always like to tell the people, I have a chart. <laughs> I have chart. a chart for cool. this. I have a chart for this. Chris, tell the people what you're looking at. Uh, it looks like it's the New England Patriots front seven uh, with their position, player, how long they've been in the league starts. And it looks like your linebackers have none of these things. No starts, <laughs> no seasons under their belt, nothing. So this is what That's I have. News. That's a lie. Uh, okay, so four linebackers, they've got six starts to them. Exactly. And that's my point. If I took going to ourlads.com, compiling the first two tiers, the guys who would kind of be like the team one, team two, team, th- yeah, team three and four, 
those guys don't tend to make rosters coming out of training camp. So when I look at the guys who are going to be your first string and second string, what I see when I chart them all next to each other, counting their careers, how many starts they've had for their career, and how many starts they had last season. I find some interesting kind of intervals here. First of all, only two players, both defensive ends, with double-digit starts for 2019. One of them wasn't a Patriot. Uh, this, uh, what's-his-face uh, guy? Oh, no, well, Bo he's, Allen. He's a Patriot last no, year. Bo Allen. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. Bo Allen, oh, well. zero starts. Okay? You hired that guy. You have two Patriots has I call them has because does anybody know who, hey, do you know who Lawrence Guy is? Never heard of him. Okay. Do you know who John Simon is? Never heard of him. No, but they've been with the Patriots forever. They've played a ton of games. You've just never heard their names. And in 2019, they started a lot of games for the Patriots. Everybody else outside of those two guys, it's embarrassing. They have five players in their front seven with three or fewer starts last year. Six players with zero 2019 starts, including three rookies. No linebacker has more than four years of NFL experience, and three players in the front seven, Wise, Bentley, and Butler, have been with the Patriots their entire two- to three-year careers, but have just 23 combined starts to show for it. That screams backup player to me. And yet, this is the talent you're coming into. Your front seven, what are we looking at here? I mean, Chase Winovich, to your point, zero starts. Some guy named Therese Hall, who pro football reference didn't even really want, they didn't even give him a picture. That's how irrelevant he is. There's a lot not to like about this group. I mean, yeah, it, it's certainly thin. Um, you know, Bentley has had some injury issues. Um, when they drafted him, I believe, in the fifth round of the 2018 draft, um, he looked to be like, okay, this is just a two-down thumper type. But he had more athleticism to him, but he's been battling injuries. Um you know, when you're looking at a guy like John Simon, he's been more of a rotational guy, a spot guy. Same with Winovich last year. You know, Dietrich Wise, there was hope that he could grow into the Trey Flowers replacement. Um, that never really materialized. I mean, look, Belichick's going to have to do this with some staples, you know, some super glue. He's going to patch this thing together the best as he can. But, yeah, look, in a way, it's good that the strength is the secondary because you're looking at this group and jumping off the page is not premier pass rushing talent. It doesn't look like a scenario where you're going to have guys that you can trust to get after the passer down in and down out. So you're going to need stout play in the secondary. The problem is it just takes one slip up and you're looking at 80 yards hung on you in the blink of an eye. And so there are questions about this front, obviously. You know, when you had the talent train to begin with, with Van Noy, with Collins, with Shelton, you add to that high tower. There's going to be, you know, a regression in the front when you're talking about losing guys that were core components in your defense and your defensive front the year before. Well, and that's one of those things. And I think that, I mean, look at on both offense and defense, I'm willing to give the Patriots this. They run one of the most amalgamous and complicated schemes in the NFL. It's what's made them successful. Over the years, we've watched players that have excelled on not just other teams in the NFL, but also in collegiate squads, high-level collegiate squads, come into Foxborough and struggle. 
I'm talking about Chad Ochocinco. I'm thinking about uh, Alabama cornerback Cyrus Jones, who we were talking about earlier. Defensive tackle Ron Brace. Cornerback Razai Dowling. These are guys who did well in college, were highly regarded prospects, and yet they made their way to Foxborough and wilted on the vine. That dynamic combined with the nature of the 2020 offseason and the fact that there's just this lack of coaching to this point, I don't know. I, I think, and then you look at the fact that you've got three rookies that you're throwing into the front seven that are undoubtedly going to have to play a role. <sighs> I just don't understand. I mean, <laughs> it's going to cripple some of these guys out of the gate. So this whole, you know, this Bill Belichick do your job mantra, I understand where it comes from. The Bills do a similar thing. They call it doing your 111th. Every week you show up, you do your 111th. That's all you can do, but you do it to the best of your ability. The thing with the Patriots going into this year is that it's hard for them to do that because in order to do so, you're going to have to understand what the hell your job is. And in the Patriots scheme, some of these guys are going to have a hard time finding that. Would you agree with me? No, I, I think that's entirely fair. I mean, we've seen veterans come in and struggle to learn what they have to do. Chad Ochoa, I think, is the most glaring example, but there have been others throughout this Brady-Belichick run and particularly the Brady, the Belichick one, since that's now how we're going to have to refer to it, they've struggled to acclimate. And now when you've, again, got the strangeness of the preseason we're living through, it's going to be tough for players to figure things out. It's going to be tough for rookies that they now seem to need to contribute to pick things up. And so when you add that to the schedule we're about to talk about, it's easy to go from your optimism from the Cam Newton signing to a dark place quickly because you can see a scenario where this season sort of spins away from Belichick and company faster than you might expect. Well, I guess that's a great place to jump off to this, Chris. Wouldn't you agree? Sure. As the producer of the show, who I'm now going to give the mouse back to. Thank you. Yeah, finally giving Chris back control of the podcast. Breaking down the fourth wall, my laptop died. I took over Chris's monitor. Chris has been sitting here powerless. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> he looked uncomfortable. I can t- Dude, he was itching. He was literally yeah. scratching his head furiously like he had fleas, and at this point I had to give it back to him. Yeah. <laughs> now you can see your waveforms. Chris, you're familiarizing yourself with where everything's at. Yeah. Now pull up my, note, my notes, sir. There you go. Okay. So... When we look at the way the schedule stacks up for the New England Patriots, I always like to look at the first five games because that's, honestly, it's just force of habit because if you get off to a bad start, Chris, we've crunched the numbers. Teams that go one and four do not make the playoffs. Yep, I said it earlier. Mark said I was right. They generally use the first four games as more preseason games and these opponents, well, And this is it. (laughs) When you look at the first five games for the New England Patriots heading into the 2020 season, you have Miami at home, away at Seattle. Then you're home against the Las Vegas Raiders, at Kansas City, and then home against Denver. Now, the reason this stands out to me is because last year you guys got handed a dream start where your first five games were coming up against the entire AFC East with the Bills were the only team that could keep the game within 16 points. 
You you fought off a Redskins team that was quarterbacked by Colt McCoy. The juggernaut Colt McCoy. And your defense allowed just 34 points over the course of that first five games. This year, you're paying for it. You guys are taking it on the nose. Because when you look at this, you've got two games against quarterbacks in the top 10 for rating and passing touchdowns. And you've got, you're facing rebuilt offenses and defenses in Denver and Miami. How confident are you looking at that schedule knowing what your roster is comprised of? Not very. I mean, look, you can look at that first game against Miami. You can have, you know, good set of expectations going into that. Ryan Fitzpatrick beats you guys. He beats you guys in a game that mattered. I'm sorry. I can't let this. Chris, I'm sorry I'm yelling. I'm just sorry. Schofield, I'm emotional. (laughs) I watched you guys need a game to secure a first-round bye, and you guys lost to Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, look. Miami always plays this team tough. The Patriots always have some sort of debacle against the Miami Dolphins. When the seat, when the schedule is announced, you usually look at that Miami game, particularly the one at Miami, and put it down as a loss. This one at home to start things off, I think you can be a bit more confident in. I think at some point, the behind the scenes of that Week 17 loss is going to come out. It wouldn't surprise me if there was something going on. Because they, like you said, they needed that game and they choked it away. Um, but that being said, look, the ones that jump out at you are those two road games. I don't think sitting here right now, any Patriots fan can be in any way confident about going to Seattle and winning and then going to Kansas City and winning. All right. So look, say they win that Dolphins game. That's one and two right there. The Raiders game, the Broncos game. Those are team teams that have gotten better. Um, now, you're still talking about teams having to come east. Um, so I think even best-case scenario, it's a 3-2 and two start. Then they're by. Then the real brutal stretch comes. Okay, and, and Because I know you were about to ask me, do any other stretches of this season stand out to you? <laughs> My answer is going to be yes. The rest of the entire goddamn schedule. Because look at this. They come out of their bye. They have San Francisco at home at Buffalo, at the Jets, Baltimore at home, at Houston, Arizona at home, then the you know the West Coast strain of at the Chargers, at the Rams, and then they get to come home. Oh, no, they don't, because then they go to Miami with that year-end trip to Miami debacle that we know is coming, and then they finish it off with the Bills and the Jets at home. Chris, That's a brutal stretch after your bye. Chris, this is, why I, this is why I love Mark Schofield. I didn't have to prep him for this. Did he not just read off everything I had on my sheet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's nightmarish. It is. And look, maybe you see some regression from the 49ers. Okay. And Belichick's typically good out of the bye. Those back-to-back games at Buffalo at the Jets, not a fan of that. Baltimore in November at home, not a fan of that. Then you go to Houston where they had a leg, laid an egg last year, not a fan of that. We expect Arizona to be better. And then you're getting – you know, the short week on the West Coast with well, the Chargers and the Rams. Not a fan of that. And that leads you into the final three divisional games, one of which is your trip to Miami in December, which always bites them. Gronk, Hail Mary, the most recent example of that. So, oh, yeah. that, was the, that, that was one of the greatest things ever. Now, here's the thing. When you look at it statistically, 
If the Patriots, I mean, I've said it, if they don't get off to a hot start, you guys are going to be on the ropes. Down that stretch that you just read off, four top 10 defenses from 2019. Three defenses that finished top four for blitz percentage in 2019. So, like, even if, like, think about it, Baltimore. Baltimore wasn't a top 10 defense. They weren't. Even though their team won a lot of games, they hemorrhaged a lot of yards, they did some things, but they finished highly in blitz percentage. They may not have sacked the quarterback a lot, but they send pressure because that's their style. Your new look offensive line is going to have to gel very quickly because you're changing an offensive scheme. you got to get used to your new quarterback and how he wants to play the game, how Tom Brady is gone after 20 years here and a scheme being built around him. And you're going to go up against a bunch of teams that love to send pressure. They love to send extra rushers. And with that in mind, your offensive linemen are going to have to not only know where their quarterback wants to be, but have their head on a swivel. I think that more than anything is going to play a huge role in this. But like you said, this is a murderer's row of teams for a team that doesn't even know what it's going to be in 2020. I mean, a slow start out of the gate could doom the Patriots in 2020. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Look, if if this team gets to the bye in that sort of one-in-four scenario, yeah. Like, you're, you're talking about this going south fast. And it's entirely possible. I mean, I think to have any shot at making some sort of, you know, Brady, you know, I mean, Belichick winning coach of the year type run, they're going to have to start four and one. I mean, th- just look at that second half of the year. Like, they're going to have to start four and one to have any shot at something like that. And if they don't, man, it's going to get dicey fast. So then when we look at your personal projections and expectations for the 2020 season, on offense, where do you see the offense finishing overall statistically in terms of yardage, under over 15th and a half place. I mean, it's hard to look at them right now and say, look, this is going to be a top 15 offense. It's hard because you're, you're transitioning to a new quarterback. You still have questions at wide receiver, even though it's an improved group from where Cam Newton's sitting. You have questions at tight end. Um, your first round running back from a couple years ago, Sonny Michelle. He he wasn't healthy to start camp. He was on pop. There are questions here, and there are some really good offenses in this league if you look around the landscape of the National Football League today. So in terms of a top 15 offense, it's hard to put money on that saying, look, this is a top 15 offense. Could it be? Yeah, sure. If we get 2017 Cam Newton, if we get you know Sonny Michelle back, if he's comfortable again, if they do some different things schematically, it could be a top 15 offense. Would I be willing to put money on it? No. On defense... The secondary obviously has to take a step back, right? I mean, last I year mean, was- I, I think when viewed through the prism of they're not going to have the same defensive front they had last year, number one. And number two, let's not forget, part of the reason this secondary was so good was that they were up in games and they forced teams to be one-dimensional. And when you're forcing, like in the first part of the year, the Luke Fox and the Dwayne Haskins and the Colt McCoys of the world – to throw the ball against you, to have to throw the ball against you, you're going to be successful. I said Dwayne Haskins, he didn't 
they didn't face Dwayne Haskins. They faced Colt McCoy. It doesn't matter. They face a bunch. They, they might as well. They're interchangeable. The they're all throwaway so, quarterbacks. Yeah. None of it's like office space. Nah, 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 what was that guy? Naga, 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 that, not gonna work not here. Gonna be, not gonna be Dwayne something. Haskins yeah. won't be hot take. Dwayne Haskins won't be the Washington Redskins quarter. Oh wait, whoa, whoa, Washington Football Teams. Justin Fields. He will not be their quarterback three years from now. Yeah, he's talking about two years from now. So then, when you talk about the regression of the front seven, rush defense, where do they finish? 15 and a half. I'll give you the hit as an under over. Where do you put them? Like in terms of when you mean rush defense, stopping the run? Yep. I, look, I don't think they're going to be a top 15 run defense. And part of that is going to be a function of their schedule because they're going to be in some games where their opponents are going to have the lead and they're going to be able to salt games away against them. Like look at Baltimore. Look at Kansas City. And so, yeah, I don't think this is going to be a – Top 15 run defense, no. And where do you see them finishing in the AFC East? Look, I mean, as I said earlier, you know, I thought the Bills coming out of the drafted free agency, free agency period were the favorites. I think the gap narrowed somewhat with Cam Newton's acquisition. I think the gap got wider a bit um, in the wake of the COVID moves. I think sitting here right now, the Bills are the favorites in the AFC East. We like to hear that. <laughs> you, you didn't answer the question, but I'll give it to you because I love what you're saying. Mr. Look, I mean, what? In, in terms of where they, they'll fit a second. Okay, second. Okay, because I was going to say, you're not worse than the Jets, are you? No. I mean, look, I, I think the Jets are still a two, you know, year or two away. Same thing with the Dolphins. Um, it's, it's the Bills and the Patriots, and I, I do think that right now the Bills are the favorite. I think if you get... Me, you, Drew, Schofield, Nate Geary as a quarterback, round up Michael Kiss and a couple of his friends. I think we could take on the Jets. <laughs> I mean, get a couple of beers at us. Yeah, probably. We play with no fear. Here's a well, Schofield would obviously be quarterback. No. No, receiver. No. He says no. Receiver and head coach. And we, love, we need a young arm. I, That's why you I would get Geary. I have maybe three throws left in this shoulder of mine, my friend. We're going to be running a flex ball with Nate Gary. Here, here's the here's the big question, and we're going to wager a Seagrams on this. Do the Patriots finish higher than the Miami Dolphins? Yeah. Okay. That I'm confident in. Chris, book it down. Schofield for a Seagrams. Got yep. it. <laughs> Oh, Mark, we love having you on to do these things because we know that you can take a joke and also that you know what you're talking about when it comes to Patriots football. Chris, is it nice getting the opponent's point of view? Always, especially when the Patriots are in this much disarray. <laughs> I love it. I'm here for all of it. Mark, tell everybody who's listening where they can find your work, where they can find you on Twitter, social media, where they can follow everything you do because, honestly, we've been a follower of yours uh, fans of your work for years. It's for those of you listening. Go follow the guy. His when he talks about football, it, it doesn't just mean the Patriots. He's an incredible football mind. He's one of the few people I respect in that regard. And so, with that, Mark, where can people find it? Well, guys, it is always a blast to be on with you. This is without a doubt, hands down, one of my favorite shows to do. 
anytime one of you guys reaches out, I'm like, boom, yeah, whatever, wherever you need me. Like, I will, I will ignore my family. I will go <laughs> off everybody, like, whatever. I, I will be here. I love coming on with you guys. It's always a blast. Um, as far as the bird app, look, Twitter can be a soul sucking, soul crushing hellscape at times, but I try to make it better with cat and kitten pictures now. So if you want to follow along, at Mark Schofield on the bird app, uh, USA Today's Touchdown Wire, Matt Waldman's RSP, a bunch of places, SB Nation, the Sco Show, QB Factory with me and Michael Kist. Uh, but the bird app, like you said, at Mark Schofield on Twitter. He, he literally works with Matt Waldman, who is one of our favorite analysts. Good people tend to gravitate towards one another, and that's why we love Mark Schofield, because he's good people. Chris, this has been an amazing, amazing opening installment of the AFC's Roundup. Yep. But I think this is where we call it. We've had a good time, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Mark Schofield. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the AFC's Roundup. Done. Excellent. Appreciate you coming on. I'll tell you what. Anytime, guys. You are one of the few people who... For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.